Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome back to the Tom Petty Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. The topic of conversation this week is the penultimate ninth track from the Heartbreaker's second record, Restless. As always, please check out the link in the episode notes if you would like to listen to the song first, then come back and we'll dig straight into it. As we know from various interviews and various books, You're Gonna Get It was recorded really quickly with a view to following up the success that Breakdown had finally achieved on the radio. With a couple of fantastic songs written and figured out live before the band headed into the studio, the emphasis once they were there was on getting the rest of the record done. And Tom, when speaking about Restless, admits to Paul Zolo in conversations with Tom Petty, I think at that point we were driving our way through to finish the album. You definitely get the sense that the lyrics especially were hurriedly assembled and they lack that characteristic Petty flair that you usually find. And they don't really have that one line that pops and grabs you. Musically, though, I like it. Uh, It has a really good rhythm section that's way funkier than anything they had or would write up to probably maybe Night Watchmen from Hard Promises. This one starts with a great Stan Lynch drum sound. I still find it really weird that the drums on Magnolia were, were recorded so flat, as they're so big and beefy on the rest of the album, and this song is no exception. We get a tight drum fill intro here with, a, with Mike sliding down the fretboard to lead into the first bar of that intro. The intro takes the last two bars of the chorus and stretches that B chord out for one more bar instead of going back to the root F sharp. So a fairly standard songwriting trick there to lead into the first verse. Including that drum fill, we're getting a super short four bar intro that cannibalizes the chorus and leads us straight into that first verse. Musically, not groundbreaking, but I kind of like how it's not a straight lift either from another section of the song. Ron Blair is playing a picked bass in this song rather than his usual finger playing style, which gives those bass notes a a great snap. Um, And he really leans into those double kicks on the third note in the bar and fills in the rest of the bar with big dramatic slides and the the last two notes of a triplet that sits in counterpoint to the triplet that Mike is playing on the guitar. So as Mike plays his three notes in ascending order, Ron is coming down on the second and third notes rather than going up. This gives the beat a nice harmonic fullness that would be missing if Ron either stayed on a single note or matched what Mike was playing. Um, he does this in that first verse and then starts to add in more movement in that bottom end in the second with the game more slides. And the chorus sees him simplifying things a little, but then really pushing those big slides in the back half of that chorus section. Accompanying Ron in the bass-heavy feel of this one is Stan's great drum track, uh, which features my favourite and one of the most subtle drum fills on the entire album. So you listen to the lead out of the first chorus, you know, You Look Restless 2. He plays a killer little lick on the hat and the ride cymbal before playing a snare floor tom combo to come back into the verse. It's a really clever little bit of drumming that fills in that bar without overpowering it at all. So often when you're listening to a Heartbreakers record, you notice something like that, where one of them, one of the band members just throws something in that's super cool, even in a song that isn't necessarily top shelf. Um, Because the song structure is so simple and doesn't really develop throughout the song, you're looking to add in that little dynamic movement someplace any way you can, and I think that Ron and Stan pick up a lot of the slack in this song in that way. Last week I talked about how unusual the mixing of the guitar was on No Second Thoughts, in that the rhythm guitar was mixed dead centre. Well, we're back to the more typical panning on this one, with Mike's lead sitting in the left channel and Tom's on the right. And just in case you're not sure what I'm talking about when I talk about the left and right channels, and sorry if this is sucking eggs for some of you or most of you, um, but if you listen under headphones, you'll hear that different tracks are very specifically coming through one side of your headphones or your earbuds. So if you take you know one speaker away from your head entirely or take one earbud out, 
you know, you simply won't hear some of the instrumentation or you won't hear it as clearly. And quite often it is, it's heavily on the left channel, but it will be mixed centrally too. But sometimes it literally is just on that left channel. Um, my theory on the way this was done fairly consistently on those first two albums is that it mirrors the way that you would see or absorb the music live as Mike was always to Tom's right or as we're looking at it as an audience on, on the left. So you hear Mike on the left and Tom on the right. If I ever get to speak to Mike Campbell, I'll definitely be asking him about that. The guitar on this track is fairly straightforward with no real riff again. Um, and again, the song is carried by the rhythm section. But there are some super cool Mike Campbell licks in and around the breaks in the vocal. And that fill he plays in the second verse right after I'm a Hair Trigger Lover really reminds me of like a, it's a Stevie Ray Vaughan blues-saturated lick. And even the tone to a degree has that quality. Just super, super bluesy. The rest of that track has the odd fill here and there, but it definitely feels like it's more of a um, just keeping time with the with the with the beat and letting that bass and drum um, lead the sort of the the tone of the song. The other thing I love about this one is the Fender Rhodes. I assume that's what it is uh, that Benmont is playing. Ordinarily, Benmont's virtuosity is much more restrained on the studio recordings, but comes out more in the live performances. Again, especially on the early albums. After the first verse and chorus in this song, though, we hear a lot more from Ben, and he rips out a few great little licks. Listen out for a, a great little chord progression that he plays at the end of the second verse, right after the line, waiting here for something. You get that lovely, warm Rhodes vibe coming through. For most of the rest of the song, to this point, he's just playing the F-sharp root chord on the second beat of every second bar. And we also get some big Hammond organ sweeps through the first part of the chorus, um, but then again, it's more about, and especially in the lead out, we get a little bit more of that keyboard filling in around, um, cause again, the, the guitar is just backing out. The guitar is just leaving all that space in there for the, uh, for the bass and the drums. And then again, uh, a little bit more of Benmont's keys. I really find fault with the Heartbreaker song. And throughout this podcast, I've always focused as much as I can on the positives of which there are always many. However, I have to say that this to me is one of the weakest bridges Tom ever wrote or the Heartbreakers ever wrote. And it feels really like a case of, crap, I have nothing else here. We just need to get this song done, so that'll do. And Tom even says to Paul Zolo about this song, I'm sure if we would have waited another day, we would have come up with something better. And I think that even if the song had a better bridge, maybe a key change or a dropping out of the kick snare pattern or just some way of building some tension in the middle, that that would have elevated the song a little bit because um, it just doesn't really offer anything different or interesting where that's something that the band almost always does brilliantly. <laughs> Okay, it's time once again, my friends, for some petty trivia, where I get to ask you questions that range from lyrical to musical to historical to the downright incidental. Uh, last week's question was this. In the musical interlude before last week and this week's petty trivia, the riff from which song is played? The answer is Zero from Outer Space from the album Songs and Music from She's the One, which features the only F-bomb that I can think of in the petty catalogue. But... You know, it fits that sort of garage rock punk swagger of the song, so, you know, don't get offended over a word. Remember, there's no such thing as bad words, only bad intent. And I'll take this opportunity to say thanks again to my best friend, Randy Woods, who provides me with the interstitial musical licks for my podcast. He's given me four or five for each of the first two seasons, and I do like the idea of switching that up for each season to give you something else to listen to. Uh, Randy's a phenomenal songwriter and musician in his own right, and I'll drop a couple of links again to his music in the episode notes so that you can check him out and maybe even just support him. He's a great chap all around, so, so go listen to his music. Uh, your question for this week is as follows. From the 16 Heartbreakers and solo records, how many song titles contain a man's name? And can you name them? 
Okay, back to the song. Vocally, this is a solid performance without being particularly noteworthy. It's a fairly stock arrangement in that regard with a single track vocal in the verses and then a harmony line added in the chorus and with a call and response added to the initial I'm restless part. But Tom doesn't really stretch himself and he isn't singing in that, you know, sultry lower register ever. He's singing it pretty straight. We do get a bit of a push right at the end of the bridge, but it's probably the least interesting vocal on the album, to be honest. Restless is also probably the weakest lyric on those first two albums. I'm not ragging on this song, but I, I got to call it as I see it, right? Um, it really has the feel of a lyric to me that was hurriedly added to a jam that the band had going, and I'd be surprised if that actually wasn't the case. The underlying motif is restlessness, obviously, but thematically, Tom doesn't really follow through on that as he might ordinarily do, and a lot of the lines feel like placeholders that were never rewritten, as they ran out of time, maybe. It's exceedingly rare that I don't find a single line in a Tom Petty song that makes me think, damn, that's a great line, but this is one of the few that leaves me underwhelmed. Bugs Wydell, who was in pretty much every single recording session Tom ever did, hated the song and said that he never wanted to hear it again. Um, the quote in conversations with Tom Petty is, if I never hear that one again, that would be okay with me. Now, I wouldn't necessarily go that far, and I don't skip this song if I'm listening to the album on my phone, because, as I've said, I think there's enough there musically to interest me, especially in the rhythm section. But it most definitely feels like an unfinished idea rather than a track they would have fought to keep on the album. And I wonder if the song Parade of Loons, which was recorded for the album, but was lost because of tape distortion, I wonder if that song would have replaced this one had it been you know, recorded clean and they had time, or even if they'd had time to re-record it. I'm kind of curious to see uh, if this song would have made it and Parade of Loons would have been left off. The other thing to note about this track is how long the fade-out is. So around 20 seconds, you know, that's a lot of time just wandering off into the fog. So again, just just that sort of, it just adds to that sense of, it's sort of an unfinished thing. They just had to accept it as it was and sort of we'll just move on and get this record done. You really do get that feeling from this song. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. Um, as I said, fairly close to the top of the episode. I really like the rhythm section in this song and there are nice little touches here and there, including Ben Mont's Rhodes piano fills. But overall, it's one of the very few examples of filler on a Tom Petty record. It's usually all or mostly killer, but this one definitely isn't. And I'd be astonished if you could find a single person who would say that Restless is their favourite song on the album. With that in mind, I'm going to give the song a 4 out of 10. It's my lowest rating so far, and most likely as low as I'll ever go for any of Tom's songs, but it just doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, and when Paul Zolo tells Tom... Your song, Restless, has a hip drum-bass groove to it. Tom sums up my feelings in his answer. That's about all it has. I think that's about it for the song. You know, oh well. Every now and again, you get rocks instead of diamonds, and I think this one probably stands out so much more as a weaker song because of the three songs that precede it on the second side of You're Gonna Get It, which are all excellent tracks. So let me know if you feel my rating is an egregious error and that you will never listen to the podcast again, and maybe I'll send you a bag of sweets to try to win you back. What do you like? Do you like Werther's Originals or Fizzy Cola Bottles? or Anyway, just let me know and I'll make peace with you any way I can. Um, don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project. And of course, on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. You can also find me on YouTube. Uh, so go follow, like and subscribe and all those kinds of things uh, if, if you like. Um, and that'll keep you sort of um, updated on when new things come out, when episodes drop, and when I add different content. Uh, and the last thing before we wrap, if you're listening to this on the day of release, which is Wednesday, January 19th, 2022, 
please check out the link in the bio and come check me on Facebook Live where I'll be talking to the very talented Jake Thistle. He'll be rocking some Tom Petty tunes and we'll have a good chat about his connection to the Heartbreakers and how he came to be such a big fan. So that'll be broadcast at 7pm if you're on the US East Coast or 4pm if you're on the West Coast. For my listeners in the UK, that's going to be midnight. So if you're a Nighthawk, maybe stay up late and enjoy some music and conversation. And the episode will make its way to YouTube in video format at some point um, and we'll go out as an audio podcast um, on February 2nd. So if you can't make the live broadcast, don't worry about it. You'll still get to hear that. Um, but do try to tune in if you can. Jake is a big Tom Petty fan, a tremendous young musician in his own right and a great songwriter in his own right and all around just a lovely guy. So it's going to be a really good time and I'm really, really looking forward to that. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the last track from the second album, Baby's a Rock and Roller. Bye-bye.